Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Doing well. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Super excited to be here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on today on episode 224 of the podcast. Um, a lot I want to dive into, a lot I want to talk about in terms of uh, investment, investment strategy, allocation, things like that, and the crypto space and in the world we live in today. Before we do and jump into uh, all these questions, tell me a little bit more about yourself. I'm sure people are going to be curious. What is, uh, what's your story? What's your background? How did you find your way into this crazy, wonderful world? <laughs> yeah, so I uh, originally, you know, went through traditional education, got my finance degree at a SEC school and then uh, ended up graduating. And right after that worked for a, uh, the largest bank in the United States in asset management. And I got licensed and I was going to be a financial advisor. And I just realized that um, that type of a career path didn't really align with my values. And also, um, I always have loved unconventional um alternative assets specifically and i had been following bitcoin my first experience with bitcoin was in 2013 um sold it later that year it was just a hot topic in in college when i was in a fraternity and then uh, i kind of just looked checked up on it every like six to 12 months started talking about like financial advisors about it and they were always like obviously against it in 2015 2016 and then in 2017 when i saw the whole world uh or the world of crypto specifically all these other cryptocurrencies like Cardano and Ripple. And then we had Bitcoin Cash and all these different uh, blockchains coming out, cryptocurrencies coming out. And then I saw the, the price go parabolic. I knew that there was likely a really, really important industry ahead of us. And um, I used that time to do a ton of research. And obviously I was um, actively investing. And then when I left uh, my corporate job, I ended up starting our first hedge fund in uh, on April 30th of 2019. So now I actually have an education company that um, educates about uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies and specifically about, you know, asset allocation. We don't go into huge technicals of how blockchain works. And, and um, I, I talk about it, but it's overall like investment strategy within uh, the cryptocurrency space. And then uh, on the fund side, yeah, we have multiple funds for accredited investors and we have investors worldwide um so heavily evolved in the uh in the space both at the professional and it's just honestly something i naturally gravitate towards because it's such a, a really really cool industry nice what was that experience like in college around bitcoin and it being popular yeah the biggest thing was um if if you guys are unfamiliar with uh crypto it was primarily obviously it came out after 2008 so bitcoin really began in 2009 and that was after the, the um, great financial crisis in, in 08. And then um, what it was primarily used, and I think it had a huge deal uh, and a reason for why it actually gained traction was uh, all the, the black markets that it was being used on. So I was in a fraternity, we were idiots. And, uh, hmm. and that was uh, my first like um, opener to what even Bitcoin was. And then from there, I'm like, wait, this is not just like a internet money. This is something that is, um, likely really impactful once I started to understand how the blockchain actually worked and, and all the uh, reading the white paper and understanding fundamentally what this thing even was. And then uh, in 2017, realized it was going to be likely a really, really big deal. So I guess uh, to start probably wasn't the most um, professional way to get in the space. But to be honest, if you were back in the space in 2013 and 2012, you're likely had some type of uh, knowledge about how it was primarily being used back then. So um, 
yeah, everything that um, has, uh, you know, been an, an interesting time has always molded in, into something really, really positive for me. Yeah, it, it was um, it, my experience was very similar in college as well. It was all on Silk Road yeah. um, where, you know, black market stuff, people were using Bitcoin for that. And then I think pornography and gambling, online gambling, those two also helped quite a bit. But there's so many similarities between the early Internet and Bitcoin where a lot of those similar things are what helped build the Internet <laughs> in a lot yep. of funny ways. Also helped kind of build Bitcoin. But in the origins, even though they're the same, Bitcoin's definitely seen tremendous growth since then. Um, was there any particular moment in time where you were like, okay, this is, this is the real deal. This is, you know, a space I need to be in, or I need to learn more about it myself. Yeah. It was specifically in 2017 when I started to look into like, I see a hard fork and now that's Litecoin, And then we see mm -hmm. Bitcoin cash. And then I'm like, wait, what is this, this ripple thing? And I think everyone that was involved in 17 probably bought Tron as well. And then I'm like yeah. starting to try to understand, um, you know, what, what even a blockchain is. And cause per, be, before that in, in 13 and 14, I'm just like, this is just a currency. I don't know if there's like a, I didn't understand if there's like a true company behind it. I didn't do my research into it cause I wasn't taking it very, very seriously. And then in 17, when I saw, you know, from the previous all time high, it was 1100 to almost 20 grand. Um, that entire time I, once I, once it was over about 5k, I'm like, okay, this is probably something this is now worth thousands of dollars and i was buying it for 130 bucks like not too long ago and now it's in the news and uh you know like major financial institutions are speaking about it so i just had a, a feeling and once again i always just naturally gravitate towards things that are different i just hate being average normal mm -hmm. i don't like traditional things i love uh modern things i love um you know just alternatives in general so I was just, I think it was just a perfect fit for me to, um, to start to understand like, wow, this is completely aligns with my values. It's likely a disruptive technology and uh, I don't really see it going anywhere. So, and then I started to understand too, how like globalization is happening before our eyes and how, um, and, and, and then I think the most impactful thing too, was it's cool to see how it's working in the U S right. It's definitely needed. We've got inflation, but once you start to understand what's happening, and in developing countries, it is absolutely, uh, absolutely necessary for them to have something like this. This is a decentralized currency that's a hedge against inflation because it's really sad. If you look at like countries like Zimbabwe, where they have to wheelbarrow money to go buy a loaf of bread, mm -hmm. and their stock market's up three hundred percent a year, but actually they didn't make any any money because it, the the currency got deflated even more than that, or inflated even more than that. It's really sad. So. Um, once I started to understand, like outside of our U.S. bubble, how important this is globally, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a really, really big deal. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too on developing countries. You know, the the issues they face with, you know, the inflation and the dollar getting stronger at the same time, and all these currency swaps and IMF loans and um, all the things that happen with the dollar that's like crushing other countries and their currencies. Like Colombia, for example, or the peso here is getting crushed because of the dollar getting stronger versus it um amongst other things but you know there's there's bright spots where places like el salvador for example you know have made a, a huge gamble but it's paid off for them tremendously in a number of different ways from a macro perspective what do you think about a move like that you know making bitcoin 
um, legal tender in a country. I know Brazil has been considering it. I think Chile is considering it now. Either Chile or Peru. Um, and I know there's a lot of countries out there across the world that are considering it. It's such a gutsy move, but in some ways it doesn't make sense. What's your thoughts? Yeah, that's uh, Mexico is considering it too. I think that's the next largest one. And I don't know if you saw um, in Rio de Janeiro now, if they pay with Bitcoin, their tax, they get uh, um, a discount on their tax. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it is quickly happening. Um, and, and also, I think over the past about 60 days, we had a bill introduced in Arizona and Colorado. And I believe there's one other state in the U.S. to try to make it legal tender. Mm-hmm. So that's an extremely interesting dynamic. I don't think the federal government's going to agree with that one. So you're likely still going to have to pay capital gains tax. But obviously, that's for a, a professional tax advisor to answer for mm-hmm. you. But um, I would say that... Uh, it, I still see it as a, you know, prior to understanding the Lightning Network, I think it would be nearly impossible. Um, now that the Lightning Network is actually uh, in working order and it's, you see how, ex- I don't know if you've looked at the charts on the adoption of it, but it's absolutely, oh, it's huge. Oh, it, yeah, it's huge it's, compared to where it used to be. Yeah, it's, it's going parabolic. Um, and more people in El Salvador have Bitcoin wallets than they do bank accounts. So I think that, yeah, long term, and I'm saying when I say long term, I think I think it could be generally accepted um, as a currency potentially in, in like 10 years. I don't see it happening that much sooner, especially in like a, a country like the United States. I think it's going to take it's that, that they're not going to want to give up the global reserve currency and, and start using an asset and losing tax on it now. Um, but I think it's really important for for this uh, test to play out and see how it works in El Salvador. I, my personal opinion, I think it is going to work. Um, I think that's going to be a very extremely interesting experiment because it is so volatile. And, you know, people are right when they say like, you know, it's just at 69K. It's at like, what, 40 something, um, uh, right below 40 today. So it's like, it is, um, it is difficult to go, you know, you go to a coffee shop and it, at least as, as long as you're denominating things like and using your US dollar mind and your fiat mind, things can be more or less expensive. Uh, and dramatically within you know a day or so so i think that once more long-term capital flows into it i think we're in a perfect spot because right now it's being used as uh as really like an inflation hedge a store value asset more of like a a longer term digital asset where you're just buying property in cyberspace that's awesome well that's what i i think needs to be the transition that needs to have global adoption so that more capital flows into it it becomes less volatile and then it it can be properly used as a as a currency so i think there's kind of a sequence of events that need to play out for it to be successful and i think we're already seeing it you know the last year and a half has been astronomical for the fundamentals of of bitcoin so i think it's going to happen yeah yeah there's a tremendous amount of capital that flowed into bitcoin and crypto generally in 2021 and from institutions too where do you think the capital's coming from now this year uh, has that changed at all or has it gone up in your professional opinion from when you look when you look at it and you look at the charts and the statistics yeah i mean primarily it's still retail driven i mean i think um <clears throat> the last stat that i had was probably about nine months ago and uh since then there's been like kpmg and some really respectable public companies that have put it on their balance sheet as well since then but I believe it was like six to seven percent of the money was like institutional. So it was still very, very heavily retail. What we also have seen, and I know that you uh, are very knowledgeable on this this aspect, is like 
um, the hash rate has gone way up and now we're starting to see real adoption with um, like true uh, institutions and, and public companies like putting investments, whether to just find the security behind the actual company that's mining or they're actually implementing their own mining facility and operation. And you see that reflected in the hash rate. I checked um, last night and it was in February this month, it went up to like 250 million terahash per second, which is the highest it's ever been. Um, so I think that's going to like a really interesting business model that a lot of companies are going to want to be you know, looking into because they can use, you know, the land and the equipment to depreciate. Mm -hmm. They've got a physical asset. They've got the income, um, all of those things. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, a really interesting point. And I mean, we're already seeing the public companies and and really respectable people completely flip their opinion on Bitcoin and crypto once they took the time to even understand what it is. So I think we're about, I, you know, I, I actually tweeted something last night that this, I know that these, it's a really weird time with like the stock market starting to, uh, to turn over and the geopolitical wars and all this stuff. But I actually think this is the perfect setup for Bitcoin because if it has a, I, I do believe there's going to be emotional sell-off. We're going to have a nice uh, dip. I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's just my personal opinion. And I think that's going to be like the greatest and, and potentially last opportunity that we have to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible before mm -hmm. we see just exponential adoption. Yeah, just to touch on mining, I've done so much of it in the past and I was one of those people that got in really early and did it. I was doing it with GPUs, building computers out from scratch when it was you know actually plausible to do so. Now it's nearly impossible with where hash rates are at and a lot of things like Ethereum, for example, have been moved away from proof of work and the industry is just not what it used to be and you have to have massive mining farms. But the hash rate has always been an interesting thing for me with, with Bitcoin because um, the, the mining is so key and such a huge aspect uh, to making Bitcoin work and what makes it, you know, what it is today. If there's no incentive for those miners to stay online, it, it kills the network. Um, so whenever you see the hash rate go to all-time highs or start escalating and going up, usually there's a good correlation with the price of Bitcoin eventually going up to justify uh, the smaller reward payouts um, and vice versa. When it goes down, it usually becomes a lot easier and usually you see a pullback in Bitcoin. And uh, we saw that in the fall too. Yeah. Um, after Bitcoin hit, hit its all time high and then pulled all the way back down to where it's, you know, between 36 and 39. Um, yeah. Now you're seeing hash rates spike again and interest picking up. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another run up sometime in the next six months. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a huge key metric. A lot of people overlook because it's still, even though it's like, no one wants to talk about proof of work anymore. For Bitcoin, it's it's standard. Like that's never going to change. So you have yeah. to factor it into the, the tokenomics. Yeah, totally. Yeah, one of the things that we look at is um, the hash ribbons. Just on a like more technical standpoint, and that flashed. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, but it flashed a buy signal in in the summer after the big sell off, and then we saw it go up 130 percent in the next few months. So yeah, I mean it's it's been and and also it had a. a um, impact from you know china banning it as well that's why the hash rate mm -hmm. went way down and now it's picked way up and now a lot of it's moved here in the u.s which i think is really powerful for the u.s to have um more more of uh the the total computing power of the bitcoin network in in-house here so yeah it's yeah a, i think a lot of it went to texas right oh yeah there's a ton in texas yeah what's um 
you know, keeping all this stuff in mind, what's your guys' investment strategy like? How do you go about um, looking at when to, you know, put down capital into or pull capital out of Bitcoin? Or do you guys hold long term? Or what's the overall plan like? Yeah, so we have multiple uh, strategies within the fund. Um, primarily, we like to be more value type investors. So we primarily only invest into coins that have their own blockchains. And what we like to do is we usually keep our Bitcoin exposure like to between 30 and 60% of the fund. And we, we will actively manage a portion of that Bitcoin against some of the top layer one protocols. So we'll trade um, the volatility between Bitcoin and Luna, Bitcoin ETH, Bitcoin Sol. And um, that's where primarily our alpha uh, comes from and why we've had success at outperforming Bitcoin is because we're using the volatility in these larger cap altcoins that we still fundamentally believe in that have more volatility to trade against uh, Bitcoin. Because oftentimes, like we see this like seesaw effect happen where Bitcoin will rise in price, the alts lag about, you know, one to two weeks. And that's just a huge opportunity for, for uh, you know, the, to, to take advantage of that volatility swing. So, yeah, we primarily hold like 10 to 15 assets in the fund. We do a lot of research um, behind the scenes just on the blockchain, just looking at activity and spikes in the number of active wallets and transactions and all of those things. And then obviously um, <clears throat> understanding the team that's behind the project, because although, you know, a lot of these um, blockchains and a lot of them actually are not decentralized, but they're at least working towards it. Um, you still got to bet on the people because they got to make, you know, changes and to the code and the community and they've got to they got to do a lot of a lot of things that are really important for the project at early stages and there's not really um, any project i would consider that's not in early stages um right now besides bitcoin that's you know finally over a decade old but um but yeah so we're more of like value based investors that that bet on you know the, the data behind what's going on in the blockchain betting on the teams betting on the token metrics um all of those things in in, in combination and then uh, actively managing Bitcoin against the top uh, layer one coins. Yeah, when you think about it, thinking about how early or some how young some of these projects are, Ethereum is in that category too. It's not even 10 years old yet. No. It's kind of crazy when you think about it, despite everything that's kind of happened with it in the last, I don't know, seven, eight years of its existence. Yeah, and, and exactly case in point, like you mentioned earlier, this is exactly what I'm talking about. They're moving it from proof of work to proof of stake. That is a... That is a dramatic change. And they're also mm -hmm. scaling the chain so that it goes from 12 transactions a second to 100,000 transactions per second. So like there's little upgrades and stuff that you got to be betting on the proper people behind it. Because if you're not, then uh, you're likely the coin is likely not going to succeed long term. Yeah, it's been a long standing argument because they've been taking so long to make this change to proof of stake. And they can't seem to come to consensus within the foundation on what to do most of the time. Um, do you think Ethereum is going to, you know, get to that point where it's going to be the, the chain everyone wants to use and it's going to solve all these problems and be cheaper and faster? Or do you think that the competition with all these other blockchains out there are so good that, you know, that market share is never going to be the same that it used to have? Yeah, I, I mean, just from an asset allocation standpoint, because of the uncertainty behind the, the changes, we did decrease our ETH exposure throughout 2021, just because we're rolling into 2022 where they're actually going to roll out these these massive changes. And um, typically when you're making a, a big changes like this, it's it's never a, a, a simple rollout that's that's completely unflawed. 
-hmm. So we did decrease our exposure there and, and we still hold a fair amount of, of ETH, but our um, thesis is that we do think that a lot of these other chains have the ability to outperform. And the reason is because they have better tech as it stands right now. And then um, also, just the, like no one wants to go mint new NFTs on Ethereum because it's $70 a transaction. It's been upwards of like 500 bucks at one time. It's, it's pretty insane. So it's just super expensive. It's not scalable right now. And that's why we did decrease a little bit and just move into like other chains that are, are much quicker that do, you know, like I mentioned, Bitcoin does like four transactions per second. ETH is 12, Cardano 250. But then you've got like Solana at 65,000, Luna at 10,000, AVAX at 10,000, um, Cosmos at 10,000. You've got, um, you know, Harmony upwards of 100,000. So it's like there's more scalable and less expensive options. But so in the short term and Ethereum already has a market cap of like 300, 400 billion dollars. So mm -hmm. you could, you know, invest into a coin that has one tenth of the size of that and it's it's even more scalable and the adoption rates are going up and we like to look at total value locked that's another thing that we like to like one of the metrics is total value lock compared to its relative market cap um and we, we believe that's an important metric to kind of gauge interest and adoption of that you know, chain and overall ecosystem so uh but you know long t the thing is eth has so much of a first mover advantage it's not even funny they've got like the an unbelievable amount of uh of other dApps built on top of their chain that i think it, it will take some time if they get like leapfrogged i think if they roll out this eth 2.0 it'll be it'll be still a long-term successful project i i on a, i bet more on it being successful than than not being successful so i am bullish on on eth over a longer period of time and um but my personal opinion is like i think everything is going to be interoperable i don't think there's going to be like one chain that's the only chain that people use, I think all these chains are going to end up um, working together. Not sure what your your opinion is on that or if you're a huge ETH bull, but would love to hear what your thoughts as well. Well, I, I, my biggest investment I've ever, make was, ever made was in Ethereum. So I'm always, my heart's there a little bit. But at the yeah. same time, being completely pragmatic, I don't, I'm not one of those one chain to rule them all. Um, kind of people i don't i don't really live by that dogma so there, there are people that think bitcoin can adopt all these different changes and just you know eliminate all the chains out there and you can just start building things on bitcoin yeah um, i don't think it's practical you know in a decentralized world if that's where we're starting to head at least in some degree um you know why can't we have a decentralized number of blockchains for i really think there's going to be a number of them for different sectors and different industries mm. like ethereum solana and Cosmos maybe is for one kind of sector primarily, and then um, one and then one set of blockchains are for gaming, and others for supply chain. And I think they'll just end up getting really specialized. Mm -hmm. And depending on what industry you're in, you'll probably consider using certain blockchains over others, maybe based on fees, transaction speed. Um, maybe they'll have other perks or benefits. Maybe some will be more interoperable than others. Mm -hmm. um, it's just too early to tell. Yeah. There's really no no way. Everyone was getting so hot on things like Solana, and Solana had all these outages and had network downtime, and then people wanted to keep using Ethereum, but it's so expensive, and you can't sell anything unless you sell it for like $170 because you know, that's where the fees start at at this point. Um, and then there's a number of other blockchains that are just not as popular, so people are afraid to use them. Um, it's just too early. That's the thing. Yeah. And, it's, and that's a good thing, I think. 
um, because we all think, I don't know, in the crypto world, it moves so slow. It feels like I've been in it for like 20, 30 years. But the reality is Ethereum's been around for seven or eight. Everything mm -hmm. in this crypto space has legitimately been around for about four, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, we've had an ecosystem for three or four years. And Bitcoin's the oldest thing we have. Yeah, um, That's only 11 or 12 years old. And it's the best asset, best performing asset of the last decade. Um, hands down. It's not even close. Yeah. So I'm nothing but bullish on the on the whole space, but it's hard to predict anything long term. It's so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I totally uh, agree, especially with, like people trying to mold Bitcoin and to do a zillion different things. I think it just needs to do one thing, which is be a mm -hmm. store of value asset. And if it moves into a currency, that's awesome, too, because there's so much other opportunity for these like I call these other like all coins, like programmable money, pretty much is like there's so many things that can happen with them. And it is super hard to predict. I, I think that you're right. There's going to be niches in, in certain sectors and industries that use certain chains. And then I think like at some point, I think it's going to become so widely spread that, you know, a, a, a typical, you know, retail and consumer that's doing whatever they want to do, whether they're playing a game, they're going and buying a coffee at a coffee shop. They probably won't even know what chain that they're using, but they'll have an idea of like what coin they're using because it can be bridged to like, uh, infinite number of chains in the future so yeah it'll be really really cool to see how the space grows and i would say that i think it's good that we are early stage because if we weren't early stage this is what people don't understand is there's no alpha in things that already have a ton of capital in them so when you see a lot of volatility and you're freaking out because the prices are high and then they're low and then they're high and, then, and you don't know if you should buy and sell it's like well that is an opportunity for alpha, which is a higher rate of return because there's not enough capital. It's still speculative. It's new. Once it gets to be older, it grows up. There's a ton more capital. The returns are not going to be even close to where they are today. And we've, we we're already starting to see them diminish. Um, but they're still obviously pretty extremely high relative to other asset classes. So I'm, I'm super excited to see how the space grows. Yeah, me too. One more question. Um, what do you think about the, the investment potential in, in meme coins? And I can't even believe I'm asking that question, but it's such an interesting thing to think about now. Um, everything from Dogecoin to Shiba to whatever else is under that crazy umbrella. Some of that stuff seems to be actually uh, normalizing and becoming actual payment methods, becoming actual... Um, collectibles or you know they're producing nfts on those blockchains and their communities are so big and so large and um have such a i don't know how to say but when when they decide to do something they all do it like they have such a strong wave effect um oh. <laughs> it, it's crazy it's it's a lot of this has started from the whole gamestop and reddit and Robinhood debacle a year ago but what, what are your thoughts on it? Is it investable? Is it smart to invest in it? Or is it still really kind of dangerous, more of a gamble? I think it's still um, pretty more, it's, it, it leans on the side of a gamble for sure. Um, I think that memes are really powerful. It's obvious that they are. Um, I mean, since 2020, they've been really, really important to specific assets, like you mentioned, like AMC and GameStop, and we saw Doge and Sheeb and multiple other uh, meme coins erupt. But um, I think that's also kind of a topping uh, uh, 
signal for the market to be honest when like things that no one has any idea why it's valuable or worth 30 billion dollars that's uh, uh i think in my opinion a little bit of a sign that the market has been uh completely emotional and it's likely overheated and maybe we just threw too much money into uh the overall uh you know economy so uh, I think long term, yeah, memes can be really, really important. I, me per- personally, though, I want to know the data and the utility behind it. If I don't understand the fundamentals and the utility, I'm just not a buyer. And I could be completely, you know, um, I could miss a lot of opportunity because of that. I'm not saying that the way that I do it is the only right way, but like it's the same mm-hmm. thing with me. Like I don't bet on a lot of gaming coins. I don't buy a ton of NFTs. I bought a board ape because I thought it's cool and it looks cool. But like I haven't spent a ton of uh, of my own personal investment money into NFTs because I don't collect things. I've never I didn't never like baseball cards. I don't play video games. So why am I going to take huge positions and, you know, gaming coins? Mm-hmm. I just like to invest in what like I understand and, and believe in. And then uh, that that helps you. I think that's a really important point to make is like if you understand what you're investing in fundamentally, you're much le- uh, less likely to make emotional decisions when there's a lot of volatility because you have that conviction that comes from um, your your previous you know knowledge and, and time that you've spent to understand that asset. So I think it is going to play a super important role in society. But uh, me personally, I'm not. I, I I own zero meme coins right now. Right, gotcha. Um, it's it for something that's so emotionally driven. I don't think there's any way to really measure it. I've tried myself. I. I can't. I really can't. Yeah. But it's fun to watch. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Um, and to, anyways, where can people go to learn more about what you guys are doing with Boron? Um, maybe they want to invest with you guys. Maybe they want to learn. You guys said you did educational stuff too, right? Yeah, exactly. Like we have a we have an inner circle. All, all managed. I manage like a like a fifty k portfolio um, on just like how how I obviously deem fit and. And a lot of people find value in just like seeing like how overall like my thought process behind like certain swings in the market and what assets I'm holding and stuff. So like, yeah, people will just follow um, like my journey with that 50K portfolio. And that's been really cool. We've got over a thousand people in there for for some time now. Um, so it's called like an inner circle. I'm sure we'll give drop a link below or something for that. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, if you if you are accredited investor and you do want exposure to cryptocurrency and you don't want to you know spend all the time that it takes to worry about the regulation and allocation and the 20,000 coins and all the nonsense that goes on along with it uh, if you just text crypto to 8777710615 we would be happy to help perfect um, do you guys have like a community or a place people can go to, like chit chat about you know trading and investing like a discord or a telegram or no yeah as of right now all of our stuff we do absolutely we have uh multiple discords and then we have uh, a telegram as well um all those are like for our private communities though i generally talk about a lot of uh things publicly and that that was another thing i'd mention is if you guys just want to see what i'm up to and stuff i I share a lot about my life and you know what i do in my professional life on uh on social media just at jeff seconder on like youtube and and uh, Instagram and uh, and Twitter. So, but yeah, all of our communities are are private, um, like Discords and Telegram channels. Perfect, guys. Be sure to go follow Jeff and Boron. Um, check out what they're doing. More if you follow him. If you guys want to learn more about investing, you want to learn more about what's going on in the space. 
um, and hear from him and his thoughts, um, learn about his processes and his strategies. Also go down below and like the video and subscribe and stay tuned for next week, uh, next episode of the podcast. Actually, I have one later today too. Anyways, <laughs> Jeff, thank you for taking the time to call on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, learned a lot. Fun conversation too. Yeah. Appreciate it, Brandon. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.